0: Good evening to you. What a joy it has been for me to be with your church family. Um, I used to travel in uh, full-time, all, you know, week in, week out, in different churches, and certainly enjoyed that now that I'm in Reno, the church plant. Uh, I, uh, I don't get out as much. When I do, though, am, I'm reminded how fun it is, a blessing it is, to see God's church god 's family in the different local churches I, I love to see that how you care for one another, how you love one another, how you interact with one another and uh, I told my wife last night I, I uh, called her on the way driving home after our service last night and uh, and I said, "Can you believe it I said they wouldn 't leave tonight. I had to stick around and around and around and I was here like thirty extra minutes from even the night before, and she uh, tongue-in-cheek as so a, what is their problem? <laughs> I think it is a mark of a, a healthy church, one that loves one another, and you, you like to be with one another. And, uh, and I know it doesn't just happen in these walls. I know it happens outside um, as well. And uh, thank you uh, to each one of you for uh, being here and it's been a a joy. Thank you for those who have provided meals um, for me, and it's been fun not only to be with the folks that have provided the meals, but then the others who have come alongside as well and um, sharing the meal together. You know, Jesus shared meals with people, and I think it's, again, a mark of great hospitality when that happens. Well, tonight is our final night of this particular Bible conference, And uh, we have been uh, going verse by verse through the first letter of the Apostle John. We have only made it to 1 John 2, and we're only going to look at three verses tonight. One of my goals, and not just teaching you this week, is to create in you, by the Holy Spirit's design, and by His work, really, a thirst, a desire to study more. We're not going to finish 1 John there's a whole lot more good stuff in this letter. And so you have the same scriptures that I have. You have the same Holy Spirit that I have, Christian. Get in the word. Study it. Ask the Lord Jesus to, through the Holy Spirit to reveal these truths to you, and he will. Uh, this is one of those just special letters, uh, and uh, I trust that uh, as I pass along what God has been teaching me that you have been learning and you have been reassured Christian in your faith but if there's one here tonight and you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ my prayer tonight is that the holy spirit would awaken in you a need a desire for what you don't have and what you can have through Jesus Christ salvation tonight well here we are in 1 John chapter 2. Let me read our text. We ended with verse 11 last night. I'm going to read verses 12, 13 and 14. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. he has been presenting to Christians some pretty hard truths. Those who say that they are Christian, but they persist in a lifestyle that is decidedly not Christian. Those who claim they are in the light, but they persist in walking in the darkness. And there's no repentance There's no desire to do any type of a different lifestyle. John says those people are not Christian no matter what they claim. Those who say they are Christian, they have a habit of disobeying God, and there's no desire to please God. There's no repentance before God, and they don't have a habit of obeying God no matter what they claim. They are not Christian because Christians willingly obey God. They want to obey God. John has also told us those who claim to be Christian, but they persist in hatred and bitterness towards other people, and there's no repentance, there's no desire to love others in the way that Jesus has loved them. Those people, no matter what they claim, they are not Christian because Christians love others. They love others in the church, they love others outside the church, they love others as Jesus has loved them. John, as you know, is pretty straightforward. He goes right to the point. And what have we learned this week in this Bible conference? But 1 John 5, 13, the whole purpose of this letter is to help Christians be assured to rest in their hearts that, yes, in fact, they are believers in Jesus Christ, that they might know that they have eternal life. And we also learn on Sunday morning, another aspect of the purpose of this letter being written is 1 John 1, 4, that we all as Christians might know fullness of joy. So what is the purpose of 1 John? That you would be full of joy because you are settled, confident, and you know that you have assurance of salvation. Well, if that's his stated goal... With all he's been saying, he sure has a funny way of calming our hearts down. Christians obey Jesus, are you? Christians love others as Jesus, are you? This is the heart of a Christian. Because I tell you this, I am painfully aware of my disobedience to God. I am all too familiar with my selfishness and my, my times of bitterness or, or, or lack of love towards other people. And as I look at my performance in the Christian life and I see the disobedience and I see the selfishness and then I read 1 John, I think, ah, am I really a Christian? And I think the more tenderhearted of the Christians among us can really, instead of having assurance and joy in First John, come away with unsettledness and even more instability. And so, I believe, under the inspiration of God, John, who has an, a, a pastor's heart, who is the apostle of love, In the midst of telling us these tests to take to see if you are a Christian, he stops. He takes his foot off the gas pedal. He has a parenthesis. And what we eventually will find out is six verses from verse 12 through verse 17. John says, okay, I see the doubt creeping into your eyes. Let me pull off a little bit on the harshness and the hardness of this truth And let me just encourage you, Christian. And in fact, in this parenthesis, of which can really, these six verses, which can be broken into three verses and three verses, the first three verses, which is what we're going to look at tonight, is just straight encouragement. As he tells us the blessings of salvation... And then the last three verses of this parenthesis, he's going to have exhortation. So encouragement and then exhortation. Uh, and you're familiar with the exhortation, probably that little phrase that says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. By the way, that's the very first command that John even gives in this letter. To this point, he's not told us to do anything. He's just been pouring truth into our lives. We're not going to get to the exhortation part of this parenthesis. We're just going to look at the encouragement part tonight because here is a pastor coming alongside and he is saying, Christian, don't beat yourself up over your sin and over your selfishness. Christian, don't think you are unsaved because you have disobeyed God. Don't think that you are unsaved because you have even had flashes of hatred. I remind you, there is something very different about you that used to not be true of you when you were in the darkness. You have something now that you did not have when you were in the darkness. You are something now in the light that you were not when you were in the darkness. You actually want to obey God, don't you? And you grieve in your heart when you don't. Is this not evidence that something supernatural has happened to you? You actually want to love others and you hate it when you don't. Obedience to God and love to other people are only possible because something vital has happened to you. Something has gripped you. Something irreversible, something irrevocable, something supernatural and otherworldly has taken up residence inside you. Here is evidence that you are saved. Don't worry, Christian, over your salvation Rejoice in what God has done. Look at the evidence. He has changed you. So stop grading your performance. Start resting in God's performance in you. Let's get our eyes where they should be. And so what he does in this encouragement in these three verses before he will eventually go back to more tests in verse 18 What he does here is he gives us three blessings of salvation. These are by way of reminder, by way of encouragement. He will say, All Christians have forgiveness of sin, relationship with God, and victory over the enemy, victory over Satan. So those are the three blessings of salvation we're going to look at tonight. But before we look in detail at the blessings as we say as we see here, did you notice that he mentions three separate groups of people? He calls them children, young men, and fathers. Did you notice that? What is this? Who are these people? Children, young men, and fathers. Well, there's various interpretations. I think the best interpretation is this. It's not necessarily speaking about different ages in the church, but different stages in the church. You like how that worked? Different stages of Christian maturity. Now, it can... uh, Age can play a factor into this, but primarily it's dealing with stages of spiritual maturity. So when he is talking about children, is this not obvious that he's talking about those who are new believers? Those who are young in the faith. That person could be 80 years old, but they are young in the faith. Children and followers of Jesus. Then he talks about fathers this is the opposite end these are those in the church who have been with god for many many years they are mature in their faith of course by the time john is writing jesus has resurrected and ascended to heaven about 60 years previous so these are people who for most of their lifetime had been walking with god they are mature in the faith and then you have the young men you can think of the young adults who is this it's everybody in between So this is the gamut of all of the Christians. Now, he is going to take these three blessings, forgiveness of sin, relationship with God, victory over Satan, and he's going to assign them to different stages. And what he is doing here is, I think he's placing those that are most precious to each stage of life, but these blessings are true of all. Okay, so he's going to assign forgiveness of sin to children. Do mature believers not have forgiveness of sin? Of course they do. Do children not have victory over Satan? Of course they do. But what is particularly precious to those who have just come to faith in Christ? Forgiveness of sin. So these are different stages, but the blessings apply to all stages. Here we go. Let's look at the three this evening and we will conclude our Bible conference. Number one, all Christians have forgiveness of sin. This is something to rest in when your heart condemns you. Did you notice in verse 12? I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you, For his name's sake. Do you grasp the utter relief of that verse? Your sins, Christian, are not held against you because of Christ. Yes, you have disobeyed. Yes, you have been selfish. Yes, you have not performed as you know you should. But rejoice, rest. Your sins are forgiven you. For his name's sake. Your standing with God has not changed based on your performance. Yes, you will feel dirty after you sin, but in the eyes of God, you are draped in the righteousness of Christ. Your sins are forgiven you. You may feel that God is going to crush you because of your failure once again, but He is not because He crushed His Son on your behalf. Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. A Christian is not unsure about forgiveness of sins. A Christian knows she is forgiven for all time. A Christian knows he is forgiven for all eternity. I love how the Apostle Paul words it in uh, Romans chapter 3, in verse uh, uh, 25. Speaking of Jesus Christ and the redemption that is in Christ whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. You say, I have no idea what you just read. Here it is. You had committed sins against God. You had earned the judgment of God, the fiery judgment and the condemnation of God was upon you. But God graciously withheld immediate punishment by death because of your sin. He withheld the punishment you had earned, the debt you owe. He withheld it by His grace until you got to the stage of life that you could understand the death of Christ on your behalf the redemption that could be yours through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then as you place your faith in Jesus Christ and His shed blood on your behalf, God then says, all those sins that you had committed that deserve death, all the sins that have yet to be committed, which are deserving of death, I have now dealt with them by Christ. He has withheld the punishment to redeem us once we place our faith in him. A Christian knows he is forever forgiven. His standing does not change based on his performance. How do we know that we are forever forgiven? Well, John tells us in verse 12 for his name's sake. Christians have not been forgiven because they have earned forgiveness. We have not been forgiven because we deserve forgiveness, nor are we worthy of forgiveness. Christians have been forgiven because Jesus is worthy. He is the one. For the sake of his name, we have been forgiven. And of course, the name of Jesus here speaks to who he is and all he has done for us Uh, upon the cross of Calvary. He is the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. He is the Holy God who took our sin upon Him so that we might go free. We've already looked at 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Have you ever sat and meditated on that glorious word, all sin? No matter what sin you have committed, no matter the severity, no matter the enormity, it has all been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who in the midst of their poor performance before God says, I have been forgiven. Jesus has been crushed. We live with gospel glasses on. We see everything through this. Colossians tells us in 1.14, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews tells us in 9.22, almost all things are by the law purged by blood, without the shedding of blood is no remission. Remission is an old word, but it speaks of pardon, it speaks of forgiveness, it speaks of to release someone from a debt. You had earned a a death. This was the debt you owed for your sin. But when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection for you, the debt you owe was not erased. It was fully paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been bought by a price. You have been forgiven and cleansed by the blood. So if you are in Christ today you stand forgiven at the cross. Nothing can alter that reality. Even in your disobedience, even in your hatred, you stand forgiven at the cross. So don't be discouraged. Don't doubt your salvation. Don't question God's love. Your sin is still forgiven you because Jesus Christ has shed His blood for you. Don't focus on your failures. Focus on His forgiveness. Don't allow guilt to beat you up. Confess sin and rejoice. Though your standing before God never changes, yet you can dirty your feet as you walk through a sinful world. You can... You can. Uh, uh, cause a breach in the relationship, but you cannot end the relationship you have with God. And so there's a daily cleansing, a confession. That's 1 John one nine. I think about my own relationship with my wife, those times that I sin against her. My relationship with her does not change. My standing with her does not change. I am still her husband, but yet I can cause a difficulty and a breach in that relationship. And what does it require? But a humility and a confession to her. Honey, I have sinned against you. I have done you wrong. I am wrong. Would you please forgive me? And the relationship, the fellowship in the relationship is healed and restored. So it is with God. Our sins have been forgiven. But when we have sinned against Him we come for the daily cleansing. And we find that His blood cleanses us still from all sin. Has this ever been your case when you have sinned against God and you know that you're, you're not right and you go to confess your sin and you take 1 John 1, 9 and your heart is grieved. I have disobeyed Him. I have not loved as I should. Oh, Father, I have sinned against You. Would You please forgive me? Thank You for the blood. And you go and you place that You confess that sin, you place it beneath the blood. Has your heart still condemned you even at that moment? You've gone through that prayer of confession and you get up and you walk away and you say, I just don't know if it, I don't know if if this is going to work. I don't know if this is going to take. Have you ever, has your heart ever condemned you with that? When those things happen, this is what I would encourage you to do. That you start talking to yourself and you start telling yourself what is true. Rather than getting up and still feeling dirty, do you actually believe that God forgives you when you confess your sin? If so, then rise up, thank the Lord for the blood, put that sin under the blood, and walk away and keep telling yourself, God has forgiven me. He has promised to do so. I stand forgiven at the cross. He has now cleansed me once again before Him. I can go forth with His blessing and His favor upon me. And eventually, your feelings will catch up with your theology. Keep working through that. Christians know the forgiveness of God. Do you know the forgiveness of God? Are you rejoicing in the forgiveness of God? (laughs) Let me speak real briefly to those who might not know the forgiveness of God. You are still in your sin. You might classify yourself as a non-believer. Do you realize the greatest need of your heart and your life today is to be forgiven before God? You have a debt you cannot pay in this life. You have a debt for your sin, and that debt is eternal death. But Jesus Christ has done something for you. He has died in your place. Forgiveness of your sin, pardon for your sin. A complete uh, clean bill is there upon the table. Will you not take it? Take it tonight and rejoice in the blood of Jesus. There was a time in my life that I was under the condemnation of God, but I saw God's forgiveness offered. And by His grace, I said, yes, I want forgiveness. And Jesus Christ has forgiven me. And I know I stand forgiven at the cross. Do you know this? Tonight is your night. If not, all Christians have forgiveness of sin. Praise the Lord. There's a second blessing of salvation that we see here, and that is all Christians have relationship with God. Would you look at verse 13? I write to you, fathers, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning who is this person that is from the beginning does that sound familiar from the letter of first john earlier you go all the way back to verse number 1 of this letter John is speaking of Jesus and he says, he who was, or that which was from the beginning, the word of life. So what he is saying here in verse number 13 is, fathers, you have known, you have been in relationship with someone who is from the beginning. And he's speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ. Christians know that they have a relationship with someone who is eternal. And this is supposed to, calm our heart down when our performance is not as it should be as a Christian. I have a relationship with God. This should calm my heart down. And I really struggled with that. I began to start thinking, what is it about having a relationship with God that's supposed to bring assurance to my heart when I'm not doing as well as I know I should as a Christian? What is it about a relationship with Jesus that's supposed to calm my heart down and give me assurance of salvation? And I really wrestled with that, and then uh, the Lord brought to my mind some verses, and I want to take you to these verses. If you want to keep a finger here in 1 John, by all means, please do so. But let's go back to the Gospel of John. Would you turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John and chapter 10? I understand for your church, you're about to, in a few weeks, get to chapter 10. So here's a preview of coming attractions. In John 10, Jesus is speaking. By the way, we sang about this truth tonight. I don't know if you caught it. I did because I knew what I was going to be preaching on. But (laughs) you there in John 10, I want you to look at verse 27. I've quoted this verse earlier this week, but he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you see the relationship in that verse? Remember, all Christians have relationship with God, and specifically here in 1 John 2.13, it's relationship with Jesus. He says, I know my sheep. There's the relationship aspect. So how does that give me assurance, even when my performance is not as it should be? Look at verse 28, and I give them eternal life. Jesus is the one who provides eternal life. His gift to those He is in relationship with. This is something we must continue to keep in mind. I give them eternal life. Look at the next phrase. And they shall never perish. He is not only the one who provides eternal life, He is the one who protects our eternal life. He has forever taken away the threat of hellfire from those who belong to Him. This gives me assurance. Look at the next phrase. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Not only is Jesus the one who provides eternal life for those who are in relationship with him. Not only is he the one who protects eternal life from hellfire, from from those who belong to him. But he is the one who preserves their eternal life. Nothing you ever do could forfeit eternal life. You can't sin your way. ...out of relationship with God. Because of the forgiveness of God... ...because of the blood of Jesus Christ... ...because we have entered into relationship with God through Jesus... ...this is what we cling to... I belong to him. He belongs to me. And that's why Jesus goes on to say in verses 29 and 30, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. I like that. No one is able. That means you yourself are are not powerful enough to forfeit your salvation. Your disobedience, your selfishness, your doubt is powerless to alter your relationship with Christ once you have entered into it by His grace. I love Philippians 1, six. He who began a good work in you, that work is salvation will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? If you are in Christ, if you have begun salvation with Christ, I know your eternal destiny. I know where you're headed. Your destiny is to be perfectly like Jesus one day. He has made a promise. He has begun the good work in you. He will complete it. One day you will be perfectly like Jesus. Now, you may go through some painful detours of your own making and the choices of others in your life, but... Your destination is sealed. You will be like Jesus. The Holy Spirit will make sure of this. This is what we rest in when we struggle with doubts. I am in relationship with God. I cannot, I will not forfeit my salvation. Rest in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's go back now to 1 John chapter 2. There in verse 13, we've already said, I write to you, uh, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Look at verse 14. He says it almost identical, but they're slightly different. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Oh, wait, sorry, it's the end of verse 13. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. He switches back to the children here and he says it's not just that you know him who is from the beginning, you know the Father. You're not just in relationship with Jesus, you are in relationship with the Father. You know God as your Father, no longer as your judge. You are the child of his grace and you delight him. This is particularly precious to those who are new in the faith. I have a relationship with God who is my Father. Do you understand you are the delight of the Father's heart? The greatest delight of the the Father is His Son, Jesus Christ. And He sent the delight of His heart to this earth to die for His enemies so that His enemies might become, by faith, the delight of the Father. That we might be as His Son. My friend, if Jesus, if Jesus has saved you, the Father loves you. Anyone who says God's mad at you has lied to you. You are the delight of His heart. That's why the psalm writer would say in Psalm 18, 19, He brought me forth into a large place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. Jeremiah 31, 3, The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness I have drawn you. His love for you, His delight in you, in Christ, can never be exhausted. You know Him as your Father. That's why I love the 1 John 3 and verse 1, where, where where John just like runs out of superlatives. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God, that we should be called the children of God. We who were the rebels, we who were the enemies, we who were the sinners, we who wanted nothing to do with God, He has reached down and He has brought us into His family. What manner of love is this? That word manner is the exact same word that is used in the Gospels. Remember when Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples are in awe? What do they say? What manner of man is this? It literally means, where did this person come from? Because it's obviously he's not from around here. So John takes that same word in 1 John 3, 1, and he says, What kind of love is this that someone would so love his enemy that he would bring him into his family, cleanse him, make him entirely new, and make him the delight and her the delight of his heart, a son and a daughter of God? Where did this love come from? Because you certainly can't find it around here. This is an otherworldly love. So what is the point? Christian, when you sin, confess it, but don't analyze yourself to no end. Focus on the relationship you have with God. Give yourself to Him. Delight in this relationship. This calms our heart. All Christians have relationship with God. And then finally, the third blessing, all Christians have victory over Satan. Let's go back to verse 13. This is the young men. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Oh, who is the wicked one? It is the enemy of our soul. It is Satan. He is the one seeking to seduce you from God. A vicious enemy, but a defeated enemy. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 2.14... As, as the children, that's speaking of mankind, we are partakers of flesh and blood. He, Jesus also himself, likewise took part of the same flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Why did God become a man Well, someone says to save us. That is correct. Why did God become a man? To glorify the Father through the redemption of sinners. That is correct. Why did God become a man? In this verse, Hebrews 2.14 says, to destroy Satan. To crush the head of the serpent. God is stronger than Satan. God cannot lose to Satan. And guess who's taken up residence inside you? The wicked one conqueror. God himself. What does 1 John 4 say? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remember the times you have chosen God over your sin. Remember when you have obeyed. Remember when you have loved ...as Jesus has loved. In those moments say, yes, I do have a history of obedience. I do have a history of love. I do have a history of vanquishing sin and the temptations of the wicked one. The Christian has God himself living inside him... He has the life of God in his very soul. Therefore, all Christians are strong through Christ to defeat Satan. That's what verse 14 says. He returns to the young men into verse 14. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. Not strong in your own strength, but strong in the strength that comes through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living inside you. Your salvation has given you a supernatural power you did not used to have. You now have the power to say no to sin. And you've actually had a history of it, don't you? Remember those times. I am strong through Christ. But not only are we strong, we also have the Scripture. Look back at verse 14. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you. Now remember John 1, who is the Word Jesus. Jesus Himself, the Spirit of Christ, lives inside you. That's what Galatians 2.20 talks about. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ is living in me. As it were, I have the very DNA of God within me. God's life is in me, God's Son is in me, God's Word is in me, and the... Word of God lives inside me, but we also have the written Word of God. The Bible tells us of Satan's strategies. We're not ignorant of his devices. The Bible speaks of sin's ugliness and punishment. The Bible tells us of the curse of sin being crushed at the cross. The Bible tells us how to have new birth, new victory, new power when we keep falling it's often because we're not following the book, but we have the living word. We have all we need. Peter talks about that. We have been uh, we, we we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And how's the end of verse 14 end? And you have overcome the wicked one. This is the blessing of salvation. Yes, you have given to temptation, but you don't have to lose to Satan anymore. No wonder, as soon as he gets done with that, he then says, so let me just remind you something. Because you do have victory over Satan, stop loving the world and the things that are in the world. Stop giving in to the lust of your flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You have the love of the Father in you now. Okay, now let's go back to the tests. That's where he's going in verse 18. But you do have victory over Satan. Do you see a history of victory? Do you see times in which you have obeyed God? Do you see the times of, 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 of consistent victory in your life in loving others as Jesus has loved you? Rejoice! You have victory over Satan. All Christians have this. Oh, but when you fail, when your performance is not as it should be, don't despair. Go back to 1 John 1, 9 and 1 John 2, 2. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. The wrath-removing sacrifice. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. Rejoice. I have forgiveness. I have relationship. I have victory. Yes, I'm going to fall. Yes, I'm going to sin. But praise God, that's why I have Jesus. Rise up again. Confess it. Walk in victory. Don't analyze yourself to no end. Place your mind on the things above. Rejoice in your relationship with the Father. All right, I'm done. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you very much for the Scripture. Thank you for these, your people. I pray for those without Christ that you would awaken in them the faith to believe. But I pray you encourage the hearts of your sons and daughters tonight the blessings that we have because of Christ. Amen.